Still the third, and here comes Petrarca again, full of confidence. Handball inside to Gorn. 55 metres, takes out the driver, sets sail for home. And the Demons move a step closer to a grand new flag. Melbourne, into its first grand final in 21 long years. Hello and welcome to Attention to Detail, the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, as we hold on for dear life aboard the rollercoaster ride that is barracking for the Melbourne Football Club. This episode is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Hop In Brewing in Lillardale. My name is Tim Simo. Far out, we're in a grand final, 2021. Can you believe it? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly, Tim. What a year party it has time. Been. It is almost party time. <laughs> almost. Um, look, <laughs> enjoying mate, the moment. Oh, look, yeah. Enjoying the moment. Like, it's just, oh, it's it's just surreal, mate. It's, you know, it's 21 years since the last granny in, you know, in our lifetime. And, you know, like, it's it's just been, what a year. Just what a year to, to know that from where we've come from in the last couple of years and, you know, the, all the crap we've gone through, it's, you know, the way it's worth it now. And, you know, we've got, we've got a brand, we've got a playing list, we've got a coach, we've got a coaching staff that, you know, has got the ability to take this group pretty far for the next few years. And it's just exciting times, mate. And, you know, it's going to be a nervy, you know, it is Tuesday night, um, <laughs> you know, 11 days before the granny, like it's you got the countdown timer on next year. <laughs> uh, check the watch just to double check oh even um, the night grand final is going to be annoying that that is going to be the longest day ever hey, unless we're allowed to actually do something in melbourne like unless uh, we're allowed yeah, to go well, outside guess what, but I doubt it. guess what the the uncle dan or dr dan he uh so 23rd was our roadmap of september potentially with depending on the percentages of vaccines but mm. you know could there be a slight easing you know do they you know there was talk with titus last week about you know just Getting us to flood the MCG, green, but <laughs> pay the fine, <laughs> pay the fine, ride the ride the bump. I mean, that's almost what would be playing paying for a top end ticket, wouldn't it? No, <laughs> Five grand for a top ender, sense. but you know, mate, it's um, it's cool. I just um, this week I also passed on my, you know, barcode to, for a member in Perth, um, or friend of a friend, um, so he can go to the game and everything, and. You know, he's also offered to uh, to buy membership next year for it. So yeah, unreal. Um, no, that's that's great. Those it's little things, mate, and it's only going to help our club grow as well. So every little bit counts. Um, you know, during and you know what, what a better way to celebrate the year than you know get some more uh, blokes in red and blue. That's that's exactly right. And I think this year of all, like, and I suppose last year was the same, but it's been amazing to watch. The well, I'd say the wider football community, but also the Melbourne Football Club community and the supporters about how they're reaching out, how they're showing their colours, how they're able to help one another. Like you mentioned, there's been a lot of uh, traction with people trying to get barcodes to get to get people to the game. We saw how dominant the the crowd looked on Friday night in terms of red and blue. It was certainly in our favour. I think had Port Adelaide been in there, we would certainly have the majority of it. Now that it's kind of um, you know, with the doggies that we're that we're facing off against, we probably lose some of that sentimental uh, support. But yeah, you still think that the ones that want us, you know, the drought-breaking uh, team to get through is, is I think we're, we're certainly going to have them on our side. And I think Melbourne fans are just doing everything they possibly can. We're murals on fences or um, inside houses or <laughs> however they've got it doing. There's decorations um, far and wide, and it's been great to see. And I know that. Yeah, the club and the players would all appreciate everything that we're trying to do in, in the circumstances that we're at because, unfortunately, it's one of those bittersweet things that the atmosphere that we're missing at the moment is, is yeah, it, it, it does suck. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to put it bluntly. And Think about our fondest, fond, most fond memories of 2018 was just being out and about in town after the game or even just, you know, during the week where you're seeing it and you're having a beer somewhere or you're having a coffee somewhere and... You know, somebody might see you wearing Melbourne colours and stop you and say, go Dees. Or I, even I went for a walk the other day, I was wearing my jacket on Saturday morning after the game. Bloke rolls past and you go, go Dees! Yells out the window. It's just, yeah, those little things like that. It's, But we're all we're all doing that little bit that we can um, in, in yeah, in the circumstances that we're in. There's not much else we can do about it. So it's, uh, it's just great to see the community outpour and the spirit and 
we're all with them. Unfortunately, we can't be on that side of the continent, but we're we're all with them. And in yeah, less than two weeks' time, as you mentioned, we're hoping that yeah, our coach and our captain will be holding a big piece of silverware at about ten thirty p.m. <laughs> Fingers oh. crossed. Gary Lyon has actually been called upon to, uh, you know, if we do win, to present the Premiership Cup, which is quite cool. Um, you know, yeah, he's obviously Don number three for. The D's, like, unfortunately, I didn't get much of a chance to watch him um, in his play day, but, you know, I know he's a pretty handy forward. And, you know, I've loved love watching Gary Lyon on the footy show and, you know, growing up in that sense as well. So, yeah, it'd be pretty awesome to see, um, to see him, you know, giving that Premiership Cup off. And, you know, there's been some polls to try and get Neil there as well. Like, how good would that be? And, you know, I don't know what Ron Barassi would be doing. It would be pretty cool for them to be in the full front, but... I'll tell you what, mate, it's, yeah. It's surreal. It, it's hard. It's real. It's surreal. It's hard. It's hard to know, <laughs> to know that for when I started the podcast with you this year, mate, it's, you know, what was it? Round two? Yeah. Round two or pretty... three um, of the year. And, you know, what a year to start the podcast with you. It's been, uh, yeah, been a pretty awesome ride. Good luck, Charm. Um, it's a side that's just, you know, wanting to, you know, to, to win at all costs. They hate losing. They you know, they've just got the right mentality. And I think, you know, the man leading the uh, leading it all is that man, Simon Goodwin. And we've got to praise that man because, you know, a lot of people have written him off, um, especially 29 and 2020, written him off. You know, we you hear him in Gus and Gorney. 2019, he just got, got it completely wrong. You know, the rule changes of the 666 really hurt us. Um, other things such as um, off-season surgeries and, Look at last year, I think we'll just slowly started to, to establish the brand, which we've been working on and, you know, sorting glimpses. I think we were a little bit inconsistent, but now you look at the consistencies and, you know, it's a true testimony to the whole club. And, you know, backdating when we spoke to Kate Roffey, the whole club mentality is just showing bright now. And, you know, it's not only the players and the coaches, it's us, us as supporters as well. So continue to wear that red and blue, mate. All right, Simo, well, we're extremely lucky to have our next guest. Household name for afl.com.au. Very talented reporter there. He's also the co-host of The Round So Far and the AFL Exchange podcast. Mitch Cleary, thanks so much for joining us, mate. How are you going? Going well, thank you, guys. Probably not as good as you right now. Uh, a couple <laughs> of days out from the, the grand final, but uh, still pumped up and uh, can't wait to watch another uh, hopefully epic decider. It, it, it is. It's. Uh, I think this is probably the biggest moment watching the game and probably feeling a little bit disappointed and bittersweet that it can't be in there, in amongst the atmosphere. And I, I was just thinking, but I know now, sort of thinking back to previous years when we've gone to finals or not so much watching Melbourne, but watching other teams and just being amongst it and knowing what Richmond supporters went and Swan Street and Bulldogs in 2016. And I'm just thinking, man, like that's... Like it'll be great regardless the lead up to it, but yeah, that's that's such a big part that it really sort of hit me on Friday night. I think thinking it's a really fond memories of coming out of the semi final uh, in twenty eighteen, and it was one of the best nights ever. Just out in the bars and red and blue was out everywhere. I'm thinking, man, you can imagine yeah. that now being a grand final. But as I said, we're all in the same boat in that sense. So no, it's it's very exciting, very exciting indeed. Yeah, I remember the uh, the 2018 elimination final, Geelong and Melbourne working that night and where the media box is at the MCG, such a great view of the uh, left forward pocket at the punt road end and still remember that Mitch Hannon goal just to put the icing on the cake for D's fans. Absolutely delirium uh, among the, the MCC members. And then when you when you work, I think it was a Friday night game from memory, um, you you know, work pretty late and you're there till 12.30 at 1am in the morning and walking out of the ground hearing D's fans singing the song, I would just die to see what it would be like at the MCG this week. But hopefully uh, plenty of good vision and uh, camera phones get out for the uh, the fans back in Victoria watching um, watching on their TVs uh, around the, around the, uh, around the fires and uh, hopefully uh, cheering on a big win. Well, I'm in an interesting boat, mate. I, uh, my, in my household, my mum's actually a doggy supporter. So, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I don't know how I'm going to go um, with her around. So it's going to be an interesting day. Yeah, I'm a big one. I'm in 26 years to, to get to this point. You know, the D's are actually in a grand final. Um, well, obviously we had 2000, but I suppose I was only a young tackle. I was only, 
only in prep at the time. So this or next weekend is going to be very special. Um, obviously, you know, it does suck that we're not going to be there, but I think just what we're seeing this year has been, you know, pretty amazing. And especially the growth we've had as a group um, has been really, truly awesome to see. I'm blown away by that sort of middle tier of age guys, you know, Clary and Petrarca. I know we've all spoken about it at length this year, but the maturity they've uh, they've had, and you know, I'll put my hand up at the side of the year. I had the D's sitting outside the top eight, and that was largely based on the injuries to the key forwards in preseason. I just thought, you know, Ben Brown and, and Tom McDonald, uh, when they went down with those preseason setbacks, I just thought, well, I don't know where the goals are going to come from, but that middle tier of guys between the, the 23 to 26, 27 age group. I think they've really uh, taken this group by, by the scruff of the neck and uh, what better person to, to lead the group uh, than, than Max Gorn. So uh, it's an exciting time to be a D's fan. I know the grand final hasn't been played yet, but you just get the sense that, you know, with Bowie coming along, I like Bailey Laurie. I think that was a great pick. And uh, when he gets his body right, uh, he'll be a good in a good position. This could just go on for a little bit longer. I know we've got to get through next Saturday first, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that the, the list build and uh, the age demographic uh, is in a pretty good spot. Yeah, no, definitely. I think one thing I know speaking to my old man the other day and we were chatting on Friday night about this and I'm, I was sort of saying what I was mentioning before about being a bit disappointed not being around there, but he, but he sort of said, you know what, like, yeah, it would be great if we won this year, but, you know, pretty feeling pretty comfortable that we'll be in and around it for the next couple of years, just given the talent that, we now are surrounded with and we're sort of built for, I would like to think, a good tilt for the next three to four years, uh, if not more so. But you're right, the recruiting has just been outstanding. They've been able to complement the experienced players and their young stars with these fantastic draft picks, which haven't all been high-end draft picks. Like There's obviously been so much talked about Luke Jackson and Cozzy and Rivers, but then, as you mentioned before, thinking players like Tom Sparrow, mm. Charlie Spargo, those players that are pl- taken in the second round that are proving to be a really crucial part of the cog at the moment. And I was saying to Simo before, people have been referencing Richmond a lot in terms of Richmond-ish, how, what Melbourne's been looking like. I haven't seen a team like this be so in sync with each other in terms of they know exactly where each other is on the, on the ground. The communication is outstanding and it's just amazing to watch. And Friday night was a, was a huge display of that. I mean, just we neither of us saw that coming and what we did to Geelong. And we all had round 23 in our minds. And even though that it was probably an eight or nine minute period of play where yeah. Geelong really got on top of us, we still that was still we still knew at half time the game was far from over and second quarter they sort of came out and matched just goal for goal but yeah i just watching the replay a couple of times now just watching our players execute their game plan to absolute perfection i think it's um it's outstanding and they've they've saved it for the right time of the year as you mentioned and, and with our full forwards now firing and benny brown uh who played an absolute outstanding first half as well too i mean just from the first from the you know the first inside fifty where Cosy hit him up and you know just nicked the post on that first goal, but geez he's he's coming into some good form right at the right time and 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 has proven that he's the right you know unfortunately for Weeds he's the right choice at, at this time and um, and he's having a huge impact as well. And there's good players missing out as well. We've all spoken about Nathan Jones in the last fortnight and what he's gone through and and uh, going back to Victoria, but. Sam Wiedemann, best on ground in that final uh, 2018. You, you would have thought three years later to pencil him in to, to own that centre-half forward position. And, you know, I, I still think he, he could have played a role and, and the Demons probably would have been just as strong with him in the team, but it just shows the strength. Jake Melchon's missing out on a game. You know, James Jordan held up his end of the bargain for the first uh, first half of the season. He's been uh, dropped to sub-duties. And Jaden Hunt's even got a fight on his hands to get his spot back and... Even uh, Pig Hibbert has just uh, just got his spot back through injury. Really, they probably would have gone with him, uh, even if Smith um, hadn't injured himself. But uh, good problem to have. I know it's a cliche, but uh, <laughs> that that depth and uh, the, the the quality of emergencies right now um, stands out to me when I look at the days. With Friday night, what was your biggest takeaway from the game on Friday night? I mean, there was a lot to unpack there, but you could look at it from a Melbourne perspective and. And, and from a Geelong perspective as well too, but what was the biggest thing that stood out for you? I know we've touched on a couple of things already briefly. Oh, I think it was just the quality of clearances. So the Cats actually won the clearance count on the night, but 
101 points is another another thing. You know, no team has scored that many points direct from stoppages since that Geelong belting. And I know Melbourne fans will probably want to <laughs> cover their ears, but that Geelong belting at uh, Kadinia Park all those all those years ago hasn't been more points scored direct from stoppages since that game of any club in the competition. Now, just watching the game on the night, the able the ability of Petrarca, Oliver, even Sparrow, and these guys to get clean exits from from stoppages was massive and I, I think that uh, played a big part you know all last year we spoke about um, the connection between the, you know the, the halfbacks and the midfielders at Melbourne uh, connecting with the half forwards and being able to provide ball but when they were getting the looks they did from stoppage out of that game but a lot of guys you know you don't see it that often when uh, players get out get out from stoppage basically uncontested and that's what the demons were able to do a couple of quick hands or, or working to long opponents under the ball um, you know, I can't speak highly enough of what uh, what it appears that Adam Uze has done um, with that midfield group uh, and the way they were all in sync, as you mentioned, uh, Tim, all, all in sync. So um, big props to them. Uh, it gets harder against the Bulldogs, no doubt. But um, Gorn is at a new level uh, himself. But I, I just think, yeah, the, the way they were able to um, exit stoppage was uh, the thing that stood out most to me. Certainly was, and, and you're right. Those quick hands and, and some of those passages of play moving inside 50 between Petrarca, Oliver, and Gorn, and Viney as well too, who played probably his well, definitely his best game of the season. And I think he's had his share of critics, probably maybe more so from Melbourne supporters <laughs> rather than the wider media. But he stood up, and he's really proven that he's built for finals and set the tone as well. With with Oliver probably not having the ex- exact same influence as what he did in round 23 against Geelong with Selwood sort of watching him pretty closely. But, I mean, he still had a great game. But Petrarca and Viney really kind of set the tone. And and then Gorn's just third quarter was, we'll say, I mean, for me, it's, for me, it seems like it's probably one of the most memorable and best individual finals performances just, just in that quarter. Like... To, for somebody not only to have an impact around the ground at a ruck contest and contested marks, but to kick four goals and and in the fashion that he did as well too was just completely and utterly, yeah, amazing. <laughs> Still, would you reckon, reckon better that, that quarter or uh, the Nick Davis quarter in 2005, the semi-final? Now, that game was on the line. Uh, Nick Davis, I saw him tweeting on the weekend saying he still uh, lays claim to the best quarter, but the max uh, involvement, the things he was doing for a ruckman, um, it's funny, I was talking to his agent, uh, Anthony McConville, during the week. And he said, having watched him, you know, from a 17, 18-year-old um, and conversations he would have with Melbourne recruiters at the time, he was doing things that Ruck Rovers should be doing. And even he pointed out there was a time uh, when Max Gorn ripped his hammy off the bone or, or a serious hammy a few years back. And you guys will probably remember, but it, was he chasing, he was chasing down an opponent or something like that. He's basically got the, the mentality. He's like a soccer goalkeeper when they try and play higher up the field. They're playing um, out of their skin and doing things that Ruckman, you know, shouldn't be doing. So, uh, yeah, he's he's going to be important. And I can't wait to see the matchup with him, him and Steph Martin. Now, Steph Martin, I reckon, will play 60%, 70% of game time. He's there more as you, you crash and bash almost your Toby Nan Curvis equivalent uh, and what the Richmond has been able to do in six, uh, successive grand finals recently. But to see whether Max takes him around the ground and how they use English... Um, and how they um, keep up with Max is going to be a pretty pivotal factor in his game. You know, the bit of history between the two of them as well, former teammates and that as well too, that I'm sure there's uh, plenty of banter between the two of them. And in terms of Maxi Gorn, I don't know if you am, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have seen, and I'm sure you've seen Mitch, but the, his ability to run back to free up our defenders is second to none. And I don't see any other Ruckman doing that in the competition where he, there was numerous times we went and manned up Tommy Hawkins. By mind you, um, only kicked one goal when, you know, he probably averages three and a half, four goals against us in his career. But to see our Ruckman and Leader do that, it's, you know, that that overshadows, you know, most things that he can do because, you know, that selfless act runs runs really deep through our team. Yeah, working with Kane Corns on the round so far, he actually um, highlighted this in the game. Um, Melbourne beat Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval second half of the season. Uh, you'll probably remember exactly what round it was, but um, that was the night when Petrarca went nuts um, and... Gorn's ability to get back on slow plays and help out Lever, May and, and Petty and free up May and Lever was huge that night. And, and Kane said watching at the ground live and, and sort of we then found the behind the goals vision. It was pretty stark. He, he'd often run 
you know, if there was a, a boundary throw in higher up the ground, he'd run 80 to 100 metres to get back and actually man up um, the opposition's most dangerous key forward. Now, we've all spoken about Lever and May and, and how important they are. But, yeah, that factor of Max doing that probably hasn't been spoken about enough. And, um, you know, the slow, methodical ball movement of Geelong probably allowed that a bit more, that the Cats like to sit up and, and go slow out of their back half before trying to get the ball in quick. Now, if the Dogs allow them to do that, um, you know, and, and get Max behind the footy, I think good night, um, dogs. That that'll be a Melbourne win. But if the dogs can move the ball a bit quicker at a stoppage, then uh, you won't get that chance to get Max behind the footy. And a big part of that game last Saturday night, I, I thought Josh Shackey played a really good game on a lear a lear. Tim English playing forward, given uh, Stephen Martin was in the ruck, was a pretty important factor. And then Aaron Norton six six contested marks on the night. So those D's key backs are going to have their work cut out for them. And if Max can get back there. Uh, that'll go a long way to victory. To even touch on the game itself on Friday night, you know, we were able to keep um, the Geelong key forwards just the three goals um, combined. I think we've got two two to Cameron, one to Hawkins, and then, you know, obviously Rowan and Asava Radigalia didn't show up. So, you know, if we can, you know, work as, a, as well as a team defence like that, it's um, obviously going to go a long way because, you know, the Doggies do have a little bit of a unique forward line, obviously, um, we haven't played them without Josh Bruce, so that'll be an interesting one to see. And it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts as to who actually mans up um, Norton. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Maybe, um, well, I still think you send your best key back to your best key forward. Uh, and I think Stephen May is Melbourne's best key defender one-on-one. Now, if that if that means they send Petty to Tim English, um, then I'll be doing that. And then try and free up Lever where you can. The other interesting part, I don't know where you guys sit on this, is Joel Smith can't be forgotten. Now, he was in their team for that qualifying final win. I think Hibbard was the right selection, um, but Smith should be available now with that uh, off that hamstring injury for the grand final. Now, do you go with him again? I don't know who he knocks out from that team uh, if he does come back in, but it is a consideration if they want to go a little bit taller with the threat of Norton uh, English. Even Mitch Hannon is a threat in the air, I reckon. So... Uh, I'd be sending May to Norton to try and uh, nullify him and I'd be doing everything I could to uh, try and free up Jake Lever. Yeah, I, it's it's really... We were just discussing this before with, with Joel Smith and, and, and Pig because, yeah, Hibbert obviously has a great reputation for his lockdown roles and I think... Um, I can't remember who... Was it on your podcast, Mitch? Or someone was talking about potentially Hibbert being... a well, somebody, because of the, his job that he did on Dusty and mm. with Bailey Smith being in such terrific form at the moment, for somebody that can potentially uh, lock down on him and when he pushes forward and has been so damaging and inside 50, could be somebody that plays a role on him. I think Ed Lagenden could be somebody else that has potentially been floated as, as someone that could play that role as well too. But you're right, athletically, yeah, they've got a really aerial um, forward line at the moment. Joel Smith could be. I'd hate to. It's hard. There's going to be. Well, the dogs are already going to have a couple of hard decisions to make as well too, with um, Waitman coming back in and yeah, um, uh, hang on, no, Keith. and Keith as well too. Probably looking at it that way. But I know that between him, between the, the Smith and Jaden Hunt decision as well too, which I think something drastically would have to change matchup wise. I think if Bowie was to lose his spot, which is still incredible to think. What is that game number eight? In a grand yeah. final, potentially. Yeah, um, and he, geez, he he looks so assured with the ball in hand, and um, you know, we, we I think even pre-season they were talking about Jay Lockhart going behind the footy and, and playing that sort of kicking role and, and the, the distributor role, but Jake Bowie looks right at home, and you can pencil him in for a long career at the days. On Hibbert as well, maybe he is the one for, for Waitman because I think you try and free up. Just looking at the team from last week, you try and free up um, Bowie and Salem where you can. Rivers potentially for, for Waitman, maybe he goes uh, for a lockdown role. So it's going to be interesting uh, when the camera pans to that uh, that first and a bounce next weekend <laughs> and uh, we get to see the matchups. It's always hey, uh, one of Mitch, the Mitch, I think we're going to have to pick someone that can tackle because he loves getting low, that boy. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, with someone with a really good tackle technique could be the, the person for them. And, yeah, ben, definitely need to be good in the air. Thinking just for a second off, off Melbourne, but from, from a Geelong point of view, now, in looking at their finals record, and it's been 
I mean, what they went in with eleven players over thirty. Mm. I think we just we were able to get them away from their you know their strength in terms of their uncontested possessions. I mean, they they are they get what fifty odd marks, fifty seven marks for yeah. the game. I think they're averaging over ninety uncontested marks, um, and we limited them to fifty seven. We talked about how non-existent their their forward line was really, and the only time it kind of looked like that they might be able to build something was in that second quarter, but. You know, Radicalia didn't play in round 23. They sort of thought that that might change things up, but it really didn't have much of an impact. But from Geelong, are they are they looking at a rebuild? I mean, there's been such a, such a success for such a long period of time without tasting the ultimate success a lot, but still to have that finals record to be finishing the top four, however many times it has been in the last 15 years, is pretty outstanding. But they've surely got to be drawing a line somewhere now, looking yeah. into the future. Yeah, and, and I think. Um... And I've said this on our podcast, AFL Exchange as well. I think for so many years, you know, we've spoken about Geelong being close to the cliff um, and thinking, oh, is this the year where it's all going to fall away? But that's when they had Hawkins and Selwood and these guys, Dangerfield, all in their 20s still. Now those guys are all on the other side of 30. Unless they can somehow lure Christian Petrarca or Marcus Bontempelli to the club, they're not going to find generational players like this that can help the the top up. So I think they have to go through some sort of renovation. The cats will continue to tell you that, you know, uh, guys like Jack Henry, Brandon Parfit, uh, these middle tier age guys um, are going to be there, but I just don't see the star factor that the cats had in their, you know, premiership run of the, the 2007, 9, 11 years. And then even in their prelim grand final run in recent years, I just don't see that star factor being able easily replaced. You know, they gave up three first rounds for Jeremy Cameron um, the school thought is, well, do they go all out while he's still at the club? He's 27, 28, 29 uh, in the next year or two. So, yeah, I think it's a really fine line for the Cats. Um, and the other part of it is they rely so heavily on free agents. There's not many good gun free agents this year up for grabs. So uh, I think what they should be doing is uh, trading out um, their first rounder for next year, bringing it into this year and, and trying to go as hard as they can, as quick as they can. Uh, almost like the D's did with the um, the Cozzy, yeah, um, Cozzy Jackson draft and see what they can do. But um, yeah, the the concern is, and I'm a Cats person at heart. You know, the, the scarf comes off for most of these discussions. <laughs> the concern is they follow the Hawthorne path, and it just all falls away once those players um, tip over. And they've they've done so well to get to this point. But like I said, Hawkins and Selwood have been the nucleus of that team. And they're 34 next year and they're not going to be, um, you know, they're lucky to be honest what Hawkins has been able to do at this point. He's a triple, yeah. uh, he's one of the last three um, All-Australian Blazers uh, at his age. Incredible, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and now I think uh, fairly or unfairly, the spotlight needs to come on Joel Selwood, the way he was torn up in that midfield. He can't really play in other positions. He's 34 next year. I think he's still good enough to play league footy, but they need to put some uh, extra... Uh, extra stocks around him in that midfield. Do you reckon? Do you reckon there's a to go with the cats? Do you reckon there's a bit of heat on Chris Scott as well? There's a lot of there's a bit of talk, you know, talking about Carlton potentially interviewing him or you know at least having a chat to try and lure him away from the cats. So it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts there because I'm yeah. pretty sure his first year he won the flag for the cats and was it 2011? Yeah, so 2011 and the next ten seasons without silverware. I don't think there should be pressure on him to, to lose to keep or lose his job. I think, you know, they were three goals up at halftime in last year's grand final. You know, if it wasn't for Dusty, they win that game. And if they, a few other things went their way, they win that game. 2019, prelim, they're up by three or four goals at halftime against the Tigers, lose that night. So he's proven he can coach, just a matter of whether he sees himself with his group. Now, I think there's been a two-year offer on the table for him for some time. Uh, to extend. He hasn't taken that or hasn't been announced as yet. Uh, I'd be still surprised if he ended up at Carlton, but with the the quality of that group, it almost feels like he'd be ready to go straight away with that Carlton group, whereas the Cats might need a little bit of a rebirth over the next few years. So mm. if he sees himself being in for the long haul, then I think he stays at the Cats. But who knows? Um, if he sees, you know, everything he's saying publicly suggests that he thinks this list has got another... Uh, Another go in it, but we all know that uh, whatever coaches say publicly always doesn't uh, line up with what they're thinking privately. <laughs> looking, looking just quickly ahead to the grand final, there's been a bit of commentary about well, now Melbourne 
with a break, well, both teams now heading into a break, but now Melbourne's now looking at playing what one game in twenty eight mm. days. What's your what's your opinion on the on on the buy there? And I mean, I know it's I know it's just purely been shifted from post twenty three to now, but do you, do you see there being a, a big disadvantage to say, for instance, us as opposed to the dogs? Yeah. I think honestly, it does favour the dogs. This scenario, given they've been, you know, they've had the seasoned run into this game, um, and they get a breather now. That's going to help them. Uh, it's just a matter of how much the, the D's can get into their system in the next week before the game. So uh, they're telling us they're going to have a hard hit on Saturday. Now, the last thing you need is an injury in that game in that scratch match. But they need they need to have some sort of um, hard sort of match fitness because, uh, as you say. 28 days leading into the game. They've only played one game in that time. That's that's not a proper preparation to play an AFL grand final. The fear is, you know, by the time the game that the grand final rolls around, do they dish up what Port Adelaide did in the first quarter of that prelim last week? And, you know, they've had the week off. Uh, they go to sleep a little bit and the opposition jump all over them. That Then you, you see what Melbourne did in the prelim of their own, having had the week off and they were, they were red hot in that first quarter against the Cats. So... It can go one of two ways. Uh, I think the biggest factor for me is they've got to have enough in this Saturday hit out to, to get them up enough out of uh, the, the buy and the rest, um, and then just make sure once that ball is bounced, they're uh, they're on from the get go. In the in the big game, what what are you watching for? What's the, what's the biggest thing you're watching for with the two sides lining up? I know we briefly spoke about the midfield. I mean, arguably, probably looking at the two best midfields going head-to-head, but what's what's one thing you're looking for or looking at in the grand final for 2021? Yeah, well, if the prelim Geelong Melbourne shows you anything, I think the clearance count and the actual who wins the stoppages isn't as important. I think it's the quality of clearances. Now, if I'm seeing Melbourne getting on top and, and Petrarca, Oliver, Viney, uh, Sparrow, these guys getting clean exits from stoppages and, and having sort of uncontested kicks to hit up their forwards in, in Fritch and uh, McDonald-Brown, I think Melbourne, Melbourne win the game. Now, if the dogs can put enough pressure on around the ball and stop that, Melbourne's forward line, you know, I know we've questioned it all year. It is susceptible if there's pressure on the ball. Every forward line is. But if those dogs can can stem the, the ease of Melbourne uh, entry, then, um, you know, I think Keith gets on top of his opponent. Then uh, Eason Wood can be able to do things in the air and, and peel off. That's, I think, where the game will be won and lost. And if, if Maxi can... Uh, can run old uh, old demon Steffi Martin around the ground, then uh, I think uh, Melbourne should be too strong. They've been, yeah, as I said, they've been, you know, backs against the walls, you know, steaming in. It, it's like 2016 all over again for them. Um, you know, they've, you know, they only scraped in D8 that year, well, they finished seventh, I think. Yeah. Um, but this year, you know, they've been top two side for most of the year, apart from that, those three weeks. But now they've finally got their game going again. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting to, to see where, I suppose, I mean, you, you talk about one carry and you talk about the cleanliness of the clean, clearances, but, you know, what's, I suppose, what's an area where the doggies could potentially be exploited? Um, because to me, I think our forward line, if if they can get all over their defence, I think their defence is quite weak, um, to be honest. Um, if we can get on top of their defence pretty pretty early and get a quick start, which we did actually um, at Etihad, uh, sorry, or at Marvel Stadium early in the year. Um, we never looked back from that point onwards. It'd be... Yeah, do, do you think Harms goes to liver? That, that's the big one. I think that was a, a big factor that night at Marvel Stadium. You just said, I'd be trying to stop the dogs at the source. And uh, I think there's a stat sort of set midway through that second quarter in the Port Dogs game last week. I think the, the dogs won the, were winning the ground ball something like 65 to 21 at the time. And, they're ground ball players and um, the likes of Caleb Daniel, Taylor DeRay and their halfbacks to mop up had a big influence on that game. Um, so if the Melbourne Melbourne forwards can uh, engage those guys and, and not allow, you know, easy dog um, intercepts and, and have them sort of start their, their ball off, off D50, then uh, that'll be pretty important, I reckon. And uh, I'd be going on Libba straight up. I think McRae gets a lot of, you know, superstar player, Jack McRae, but, Gets a lot of cheap ball around the ground. Um, if they can uh, stop it at the at the source uh, with Tom Libertore, um, you know that that's where I that's where I'd be going. I think it worked for them um, early in the season, and then we know what uh, May and Lever were able to do that night once the uh, the dirty ball, I guess, uh, was going into that uh, that dog's forward line. Um, the other factor as well is Marcus Bonampelli's knee. He was able to get the rest in that last fifteen minutes on, on Saturday mm-hmm. night. He's got the extra fortnight's rest. 
you know, if he can do extraordinary things, then they'll be tough to stop. And uh, I think he might be, uh, you know, his fitness will be uh, a lot better than it was in that prelim with a, a few more weeks rest. Yeah, it definitely definitely could. And I know that there was certainly a few things learned from that second time we played in, in the year where they got on top of us at the G in, in that wet game. But I think from memory, I think there's about five or six goals kicked on us from um, inside 50 stoppages. And that was something wet was, you know, kind of blew us out. Well, it ended up being the difference. I think the margin for that game was 20 points in the end that we lost by. And yeah, there was some pretty damning vision um, that was coming out of, of Bont being left unattended at, at an inside 50 stoppage. And I think he ended up slotting two or three goals that game. So hopefully that they've taken looking and preparing for the grand final, knowing that they would tweak those little things to make sure that, that as you said, sort of Simo, that we've got somebody manned up on him and made sure we're in the right positions and to be able to try and nullify that. Now we know they've got multiple guys that can kick goals inside 50 and especially from forward stoppages with Waitman looking pretty dangerous and Hannon, you know, very familiar to Melbourne fans, as you mentioned earlier, Mitch, and, and that goal still, yeah, is a very fond memory of mine, but unfortunately we're seeing an extra color on his jersey these <laughs> these days <laughs> instead of just a red and a blue. So he managed to get on the end of a few as well. So we sort of know that their goals can come pretty widely spread as well as their key targets but no it's going to be an absolute ripper of a game and i, th- I think looking at it now you, you let it all settle in and it is it's the best two sides of the season 2021 i think it was easy to sort of forget how good the bulldogs were they were the benchmark of the competition for three quarters of the season now that's coming from the team that spent 13 weeks on the top but we still knew that dogs i think at their best were absolutely unbelievable but i think people just forgot that really quickly and we either got caught up in Port's, you know, the Port train that sort of really steamrolled late and they managed to get on top of the dogs in that last round. And then we saw what happened to them, well, for the second year in a row now in a prelim. I know it wasn't the same uh, margin as last time, but yeah, I think I think now it's 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 going to be, we know it's not going to be a shootout at seven, it's certainly not going to be an 80, 90 point <laughs> margin. It's going to be a hard slog, as you said, contested, highly contested, but I can't wait. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a long two weeks. I don't know about you, Mitch, but like the even the lead up to the prelim was just yeah. Well, the trade talk is probably uh, getting a bit more hang time than it may have otherwise got in this uh, little period. But uh, no, next week, uh, once it all it all hits, uh, envious of, of D's fans get to experience <laughs> it all, and uh, hopefully, uh, all your uh, your wildest dreams come true. Almost coming up to your busiest time of the year, wouldn't it be post post season? Then with Trey Radio yourself, yeah, almost busier than during the season. What's funny, like the, the trade period, it, it basically sells hope to seventeen groups of fans. Everyone who's missed the flag sees this is their their final piece, or can they find that next gun that can come through? And um, the thing I've found with this is, is fans are actually a lot more engaged and educated in this space than they may have been five or 10 years ago. Everyone knows what a free agent is now. Everyone knows the value of certain players and if they're in contract, what does that mean compared to out of contract and uh, the landscape? So uh, I think it makes for a bit more of an enjoyable time. Everyone uh, can get involved in the conversation and that's what makes it as good as it is. We, we're probably going to have the names this year. I think last year, what, what did we have? I think Danaher was uh, one of the big ones going to the last day. Jeremy Cameron. There's a few big yeah. um, free agents and, and trades. Um Actually, I think Cameron was, uh, Danaher was done a little bit earlier, but um, some, some massive names. You know, I think we're going to hear a lot about Adam Chera. He's going to become as good as Christian Petrarca in the next month. Uh, but uh, no, I think there'll be, there'll be plenty of movement and um, plenty to keep the fans who, uh, who see their team miss the flag uh, to keep them entertained. The Ds surely don't have the currency to get Chera. I know that he's... You know, I know that I know they've inquired about him, and and he's he's mm. he's open to that. But surely we don't have the assets to. I mean, don't don't get me wrong; we'd love to have him, but <laughs> certainly not sending Luke Jackson packing to Frio. That's for sure. No, and I I just think that that trade. So Brisbane owns Melbourne's first round pick this year, and then even if Melbourne were to put down next year's first rounder, no one would think that's any higher than you know any earlier than pick fifteen in the draft. So you know, you, you pretty much would presume and, and clubs will do their rankings for next year thinking Melbourne is a top four team. So I just don't see Melbourne having the currency unless it is Luke Jackson, unless it is an Angus Brayshaw, you know, things change if teams win flags. Now, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting Angus Brayshaw is going to pack up and leave, but if let's say Melbourne wins a flag in, in two weeks and they can, can get in chairs here a bit more, then does Brayshaw go and want to play with his brother? Let's see. Um, the other part of the whole chair scenario 
that I found interesting is these really good mates at Ed Langdon. They had a really close relationship with the Dockers. So that's maybe a little factor to throw into the mix. But I think Carlton with their pick six uh, is the most logical destination. Just quickly before we hit you with our quick quiz, obviously we've worked so hard to get where you're at at the moment, but must sort of pinch yourself every now and then to think that, you know, you get the opportunity to be able to report on, well, let's say Australia's greatest game, but but can you tell us just quickly a little bit about your journey to in, in journalism and to end up where you are? Because I mean, yeah, you must enjoy being able to report on on the AFL, and no doubt you worked very hard to get there. But can you give us a bit of an insight on on your journey into the media and and yeah, and, and how you're finding it? <laughs> yeah, thanks, mate. No, I love it, and uh, you'd have to pinch yourself sometimes with some of the people you get to deal with on a, on a daily basis. They're just like everyday people. So I was. Uh, year 11 and 12 at school trying to uh, play footy myself and uh, I was actually working sort of part-time at the Geelong Advertiser in, in Geelong, born and bred in, in Geelong and covering local footy. The first game of footy I ever covered was Peter Riccardi coaching a local team against Devin Smith. He was a 15-year-old on debut that day. So uh, that's the uh, the origins of my footy reporting through that and then got an opportunity to work at Croc Media as an intern uh, under Craig Hutchison and, and Damian Barrett and uh, from there, got more and more opportunities on trade radio and um, on the footy show, footy classified, uh, reporting and producing our different radio and TV shows. And then the opportunity came up to, to jump across at afl.com.au. So it is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, been able to, to do some uh, amazing things uh, and some amazing opportunities along the way. So uh, I'm forever grateful for the guys that uh, took the chance of me uh, as a young kid from Geelong. No, well, congratulations on your career so far, mate. We're loving your work, and yeah, must be, yeah, very proud to um, to be where you're at at the moment. But we're all enjoying your content, and yeah, wish you all the best with everything moving forward. Uh, we will get down to the last little nitty gritty of it and giving you our five on the flash. So it's got to be first answer that comes to your mind with our quick quiz. So we've got five questions, and I'm going to get Simo to start us off for you. Alrighty. Carlton's next coach will be Daniel Jan Syracuse. Ooh, nice one. Uh, twenty twenty Brownlow medalist this year will be Jack Steele. Uh, this is an interesting one because I know how much Kane Corns uh, thought the doggies <laughs> would blew their oh blew their grand final ch- uh, chances. Um, Who would you rather do quarantine with, Kane Corns, Cal Toomey, or Riley Beveridge? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, oh, I'll go with Kane because the other two will kill me if I pick one of them over the other. <laughs> um, what's the most memorable on-air blunder? So whether you witnessed it or you're a part of it. Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I was working on... Uh, I won't go into specifics what I actually said or the gaff, but I was working on 3W Sports Day with... Jared Healy and Dwayne Russell. And I mentioned something about uh, an Australian being in a player's box at the tennis and it got a bit mixed up and I uh, was left a little bit red-faced on it. So uh, <laughs> that might be a conversation for off there. <laughs> Did it get recorded? Is it something that gets uh, brought up recently? No, you know, it's, brought up it's occasionally funny. Or? Like, not really. It's one of, you know those... Uh, in the media, a lot of people have like the little sound bites or audio grabs that yeah. get, you know, on chain messages that get brought up every now and again. Luckily, I don't think anyone's got that. So uh, hopefully, no one's got it in the archives. <laughs> Might have to do a YouTube search. Um, <laughs> all right, the last one, mate. Um, the winner of the 2021 AFL Premiership will be. Oh, gee, I'd be, uh, be a bit harsh to come on. Uh, on your podcast and talk any other way. No, I honestly think it is. I think it is the demons. I think their their midfield uh, strength and uh, I think if you're looking at across the ground, um, I think the the dogs forward line is a little bit stronger than Melbourne's. Um, but I think Melbourne's back line gives them the edge there, and then Max Gorn in the ruck might give the demons uh, a little little gap as well. So I'm going to go the demons um, by a couple of goals. Fantastic. We'd love to hear it. And yeah, fingers crossed that it becomes a reality for all Demon supporters as well too. It's, yeah, plenty, seeing plenty of houses being painted red and blue at the moment. So it's uh, it's about the way that, that these fans are getting out there and showing their colours. But yeah, let's, let's all hope that that comes to fruition in a couple of weeks. But Mitch, we really appreciate you coming on, mate. We know you're a very busy man with, uh, with all your media 
um, entitlements. But yeah, really, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's been great to hear your insights on the D's and, and for the footy at the moment. And yeah, congratulations on your career and looking forward to seeing what's here to come. Thanks a lot, guys. Hopefully you uh, can get plenty of sleep between now and the grand final. I can imagine you'll be, uh, you'll be nervous wrecks <laughs> over the next week and a half. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, as I said, it's going to be a very long fortnight. But um, yeah, no, it can't come quick enough, that's for sure. All right, mate. Thanks again. No dramas. Simo, well, we are the podcast for the fans, by the fans, and we wouldn't be here without our loyal listeners. And now it's time to hear their views on the game in our next segment, Fugazi. People aren't commenting on what they see, um, but internally, it's Fugazi. Can you do your best uh, Matthew McConaughey impression from the <laughs> No, I can't, but it's, uh, it's goes something like Fugazi, it's woozy, it's wazi. All right, mate. Well, we're looking for talking points after our big win against Geelong in the preliminary final. First one we've got here is Instagrain underscore one says, kicking straight and our forward entry inside 50. To come out firing and putting scoreboard pressure early is the key to shutting teams down like Geelong and Western Bulldogs. Yeah, 100%. I, I really think that first passage of play that... You know, I think we don't necessarily we don't initially win the clearance, but then when it gets out to the wing and Cozzy does his magic, runs the ball in, and then hits up Ben Brown on the lead. And Ben Brown, I don't think we spoke about enough tonight about his impact on the game, but absolutely, we've talked about how much this year about how important it is for our forwards to be able to find space to lead into. And yeah, our kicking efficiency tonight in in front of goal, but also around the ground was fantastic. So no, really good point there. 100%. I love how you labelled Cozzy there at the end there, Tim, because he's definitely my favourite, and I know he's a lot of fan favourites too. Not only just Melbourne supporters, but I think in the league-wide. Um, next one comes in from Joe Malari. Um, someone tell Max Gorn that he is not a rover. Well, I tell you what, Joe, I think he proved me wrong with that serious, serious shit, the kick on the run from 50. <laughs> I, th- I think you, I think you're jibbing him of a few few meters there as well too. <laughs> hey, that is something a ruckman just shouldn't be able to do. I mean, that's essentially that's. I mean, Nick Nat shows that, but for a bloke of Max Gorn's stature to be able to do that is he. Tell you what, he's matching he's matching Christian Petrarca almost pace for pace that almost entire run from the center circle up into there because. He's calling for the ball early, and it's only when track kind of I think Selwood closes in on him, and he gets his like you know begins to tackle him, and that's when Petrarca hit, hits up um, Gorney. But far out, you're right, and I think Mitch sort of talked about it tonight, and how much I think it sounds like his junior football, like he, he did, he wanted to <laughs> wanted to do everything, you know, and and we and he does do everything for us. We we know how how wide his impact can be all around the ground, but far out. That was something special, and that quarter is just uh, one for the ages. Uh, next, we've got Jeremy Mitchum, who says, Viney's game is getting lost amongst the Gorn brilliance. He's made for September and is going to go bananas in the grand final. Uh, absolutely 100% agree, Jeremy. He is he's proven in these last two finals games just how much he can have an impact on this on this side and I think we sort of mentioned it earlier but he really did I think set the tone from the first bounce and you do love his aggression without doing anything you know silly like he can still get the mongrel bastard and he can still go around and give Selwood some shit and after giving away a 50 and and, and know that he he flies the flag for us and he's never going to let that down and you feel like that for somebody he's now so close to to winning a premiership a side that he is I mean he's our vice he's our vice captain like he's he should be out there leading from from the front but you know, it was disappointing probably that that act that happened towards the end of the season, which we know that's that's not his his character with the elbow and, and getting rubbed out for a couple of games. But we mentioned earlier, hasn't been short of a critic probably in a few days supporters' eyes this season, but he's just proven how much he's worth and what he means to this club. And yeah, I absolutely can't wait to see what he does on grand final day because you know that 
well, he didn't really go to a player, uh, I, would, I wouldn't say, on Friday night. And that was probably a little bit of the difference where he has been looked at to, to, to tag somebody. So it'd be interesting to see whether, uh, whether they do decide to go with Harms on liver or if they, they look to put Vining on somebody just to antagonise. So, yeah, definitely, definitely um, we're seeing him and uh, we're loving what we're seeing and it's great to have him back to his best. 100% agree, and I think he's actually really undervalued for his actual disposal. I think there's there was a few stats going around. Like he's had 34 touches. I think he had his most effective disposals in his career um, on on Friday. So not only to go with you know the you know the pure just mongrel bars that he brings. He just <laughs> I, I've never seen him use the ball that well. I think it's I suppose finals games do slow down to a degree. Um, which does suit him very well. And you saw, I think, back in 2018 when we played that game against Geelong in 2018, he hadn't played much. And he came in, I think he might have had 12 or 13 tackles. He was just a bloody animal. Like, the stages are set for him. And Simo's multi, if that comes back out, mate, <laughs> without, or probably even without a multi, but Jack Viney would be a bit nice little smoky for the Norm Smith if we were to get, yeah, able to get up. Ooh. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for another week, mate. It's uh, it's time to soak in the moments, try to enjoy the parade of, of red and blue, and yeah, just get ready for arguably, well, definitely the biggest Saturday of our lives, I'm, I'm sure, in, in, in the lead up to the game. But we will catch up next week and do a pod for a preview for the big game. And yeah, very much looking forward to that. It's going to be a long couple of weeks, but I'm sure we're just going to try and take every opportunity to to share it with these fans and 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 show our colours in any form that we certainly can. So a big thank you to our special guest Mitch Cleary for coming on the show tonight. It was great to chat to him about the D's and the finals so far, and to learn a little bit about him. Again, a huge thank you to our sponsor Hop Hen Brewing as always. Don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google, or all any of your favourite podcast platforms. We're on Twitter at, at ATTN to detail with a double E, Facebook or Instagram, or you can shoot us an email at attention to detail pod at gmail.com. Simo, thanks again. Enjoy the moment. Go D's. <laughs>